Welcome back to season five of the Creative Genius Podcast. Do you ever have the feeling that you're talking, but nobody's listening? Well, today, guest Paul Hellman understands that perfectly. Paul is a communications expert, consultant, columnist, and author of several books. His book, You've Got Eight Seconds, comes up in conversation at our company all the time. In today's podcast, you'll learn about why it can be difficult to communicate, how to break through the clutter of someone's thoughts, and how to be a more effective communicator. All right. Well, let's get started. And um, I want to welcome you to our call, Paul, and to our members that are here listening today. You're our studio audience for our podcast. And Paul, I had reached out to a few months ago, and we want to get him on our speaking lineup uh, for future events. But I thought, meanwhile, until we're ready for that, I thought he would be a wonderful guest to have to talk about his book, which I think is phenomenal. And some of you probably caught that right at the very beginning. And it's um, titled, You've Got Eight Seconds, which I think is so perfect. And um, I want to share a little bit about you, Paul, and I, I, I won't go on and on, but certainly you can add to what I'm going to share about you. And he is the author of several books, author of Naked at Work, How to Stay Sane When Your Job Drives You Crazy. Anybody feel that today? <laughs> yeah, probably so. And um, Ready, Aim, You're Hired. I thought those are great titles as well. And he, this book is making a point about the eight-second world that you really don't have people's attention for very long. And if you don't have it in the first eight seconds, you're going to lose them. Um, Paul has a very a huge um, background and also has a master's degree in management from MIT's Sloan School, which is an amazing school. And he's done a lot of different workshops, and he's just a delight. We had a great conversation a while back when we were chatting about podcasts and speaking and all of that. So, Paul, would you like to add anything to your background that people might be interested to know? Yeah, thank you, Gail. Probably I, I would want to subtract something. Would you? <laughs> yeah, because, you know, because in, in sync with this book, you've got eight seconds. I don't want to lose people. <laughs> but I really appreciate you mentioning what you mentioned. All right. Well, very good. Well, I think one of the things that I, I've thought about and I thought was so incredibly useful in having a book like this is it makes you think more succinctly. Not that it always works perfectly, but at least it gets you in the thought process of editing what it is you're trying to say so that people pay attention to you. So talk to me a little bit about the title. Where did it come from? Yeah, it came from it actually came from research. I know that's not a that's not a great word. Research time tends to put people asleep. But Microsoft, Microsoft did some research. And eight seconds is the new average attention span. Mm. And here's what's really depressing about that. Goldfish are reputed to have a nine-second attention span. <laughs> so goldfish are beating us. And everybody, everybody here knows this. We all know this because it's rare. It's rare that you have a conversation, whether it's with one person or a zillion people, that somebody pays you their undivided attention. And and I'm in a way in, in the attention business. How do you capture it and how do you hold it? And there's a cost. 
you know, we have this phrase, pay attention, which tells us that there's a cost to attention. And there are a zillion and one distractions. So it's really, really easy. People may, people are pretty good sometimes, sometimes at pretending that they're listening. But are they? That's the nightmare. Well, I guess we'll test everybody, won't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll give them the test. Why do you think the attention spans are so short today? Yeah, I think they're short. I'm going to give you the reason that everybody already knows, and then I'm going to give you a different reason. Okay. So the reason everybody knows is all the electronic devices, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I'm going to guess that everybody that's here or most everybody that's here, and I may be the exception, is within arm's reach of a smartphone. Is that true? Now, I'm, I always tell people, people sometimes ask me, what's, you know, what's the best way to reach you? Can you give me your cell number? And I say, it's not that I don't want to give you my cell number, but it's the least reliable way to reach me because I frequently am not in the same room uh, with my phone and I don't check it, but maybe once or twice a day. So that's the reason everybody knows, right? Sure. Uh, that we are, we're in this electronic gizmo age and we're in the information age. And think about all the information that's just you're flooded with. You're just inundated with information, whether it's news or texts or emails or whatever, you're flooded with information. And the cost of information is attention. So it's like a seesaw. The more information there is, the, the more attention that eats. So the more information, the less attention. Anyway, that's the, that's the reason that everybody knows. So here's, here's another reason that you may not know. And this gets to one of my favorite questions that I, I tend to work into different programs. And the question is, how many thoughts, how many thoughts do you have a day? Let me just guardrail, put some guardrails here. I'm not asking how many clever thoughts or innovative thoughts or even how many different thoughts, just how many of those little thought bubbles cross your head, cross your mind in, a, let's say, in a 24-hour period. You know, it's this, you know, you might have thoughts now. I like this. I don't like this. How long is this going to be? Do I have time to, could I go get a cup, cup of coffee? You know what? I haven't looked at my phone. Maybe I should check my message, you know, like that. How many of those things do you think you have in the course of a day? We've got a lot of answers here. 20, oh, really? 000. What do we got? We've got 20,000, yeah. thousands, a million, 50,000, yeah. 5,000. <laughs> like <laughs> so an at the range. It's like an auction. Well, I'll tell you, the only time I ever, and I'm going to give you a number, but I'm going to suggest that you take the number with a grain of salt, because mm -hmm. the only time I ever heard anybody put a number on this was years ago, I went to a lecture by a very well-known physician author named Deepak Chopra, mm -hmm. who said, in the course of 24 hours, we have in the neighborhood of 60,000 thoughts. If you do the math, 60,000 thoughts a day, that's like about one a second. Now, I don't remember him saying how he arrived at that number. And so is it 60,000? Who knows? But we have a lot of thoughts. And if you've ever done anything like meditate or try to relax, or even you've probably, everybody's probably had this experience. You wake up in the middle of the night 
like it's three o'clock in the morning and you, you have to go to the bathroom. So you drag yourself out of bed, you go to the bathroom, you get back into bed, your dog tired, you pull the covers back up, but you can't get back to sleep because your mind has already clicked into the next day's to-do list. So sometimes our mind is just racing, uh, despite the fact that we really need the rest. So those 60,000 thoughts a day are another reason, which is back to your original question, Gail. I'm not sure if anybody remembers them, but I do. You, you asked, what, you know, why, why eight seconds? How has that happened? Mm-hmm. And we're not only competing with all the outside information, but we're also competing with all the internal mental chatter that just really plagues each of us pretty much 24-7. So I always tell people that when you're talking to somebody, this is, this, will, this is kind of a strange way to say it, when you speak to somebody, you're speaking into a listening. So that's the other person or other people. You're speaking into a listening that's cluttered with 60,000 thoughts. So if you, if you remind yourself of that, you are speaking into a listening that is cluttered with 60,000 thoughts. And none of them have to do usually with you, the speaker. That's kind of overwhelming. <laughs> and how, how do you break through that clutter? And of course, I would think that that's hopefully what your book is going to be talking a little bit about, or you can share what you feel is your overall theme that um, they're going to get out of your book that, uh, from reading it. Yeah. So I just based, so I've been a consultant for some 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. And, and here's what I believe, you know, how do you crack the code? How do you, how do you capture people's attention and then how to hold it? It's not that you have to speak in a, obviously I'm not speaking in eight second sound bites. Right. So, but it is true that the first two, eight seconds of anything do often make a difference. So, I believe that there are three main strategies for capturing people's attention. The first is focus, the second is variety, and the third is presence focus, variety, and presence. And, you know, Gail, um, I haven't done any in-person workshops actually since COVID. Everything I've been doing has been, I've I've taken pretty much all my programs and just made them into webinars. Mm -hmm. But when I was doing in-person workshops, I used to do this exercise where I, at the very beginning of the, near the beginning of the workshop, I'd split people into groups of about five or six people. And I'd say, go around the table if they were sitting at a table. And just do a quick introduction. I want you to answer the question, want each person please to answer the question, how do you add value at work? Right. So just imagine you're sitting at a table with maybe five other people and you go around. Here's how I add value at work. And somebody else says something and so on and so forth. And, you know, it takes maybe five minutes. So then everybody comes back. And then I, I ask people, raise your hand. I'm not going to call on you, but raise your hand if you remember, let's say, 95% of what just got said. Nobody raises their hand. Right, like everybody, they just heard from everybody at that table how they added value. Nobody remembers, and I'll tell you who doesn't, who especially doesn't remember. <laughs> whoever was going to go second, 
uh, has no memory of what the first person said, because the whole time the first person speaking, they're going, I'm next. What am I going to say? What am I going to say? What am I going to say? So, and so then I usually tell people, this isn't just a problem with that exercise. This is the way of the world every day. People are, you know, that's back to the 60,000 thoughts. So then the question becomes, okay, well, you did remember something. Like somebody said something in those introductions that stuck. Why did it stick? Why do you remember what you remembered? And that's where I circle back and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest it was one of these three things. Either the person that spoke was very focused, very focused, and we can talk about what each of these things mean, or they used variety. They said something that surprised you or that was different, mm-hmm. or I don't know what it was, but there was just something about their presence that compelled me to listen. And I believe you can pretty much explain when people are in, meaning if you're in, it means you're listening. And if you're out, it means your mind is wandering. I think you can explain the in moments when people are listening, that the speaker is doing one of those three things. They are either very focused or they're using variety. They are what I call being slightly different, or they just somehow are projecting this thing called presence. And so one of the things I do in the book, by the way, in terms of presence, I take this thing, which is kind of never defined and mystical, either, you know, people sort of talk about it, like you either have it or don't and say, no, 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 actually, presence is actionable. Here, here are 10 things that you can do that will increase other people's perception that you have this thing called presence. Hmm. Yeah. So I think so. Those are those to me are the strategies: focus, variety, presence. And we can, you know, we can um, we can talk more or less about any of those things. When I'm working with people, I always tell people you should be haunted. I want to haunt you with this question. <laughs> it's not not like I want to put a curse on your head, but I want to haunt you with a particular question. And the question is, what's the right amount of detail? Mm-hmm. And I'm always telling people, detail is like salt. You can always add more. You can always add more salt. But if you put too much in, you can't get rid of it. So the thing about what's the right amount of detail, you and I, and, and this is true whether you're, again, speaking one-to-one or one-to-many people, or even if you're sending an email or on a phone call. What's the right amount of detail? And I'm always suggesting to people, you can err on either side, too little or too much. But if you err on the side of too little, typically what will happen is people will start asking you questions. And then you're you're out of monologue, monologue mode into dialogue mode, which is always more engaging anyway. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So say less so that you can engage them more. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. So how do you get to become more focused in the way that um, you present your message? Yeah. Well, I'll give you, I'm going to give you a three-word answer, and then I'll give you a slightly longer answer. Okay. So the three-word answer is be the audience. Okay. That's the three-word answer. Be the audience. So I'll give you a quick couple of quick examples of what I mean by be the audience. 
if somebody, let's say somebody from this group were to email me this afternoon and they, I never, I hardly ever get emails like this, but if they, if they sent me an email that said, dear Paul, like if Gail, if you sent me an email that said, dear Paul, I would respond back, dear Gail. <laughs> that's not usually the way I would do it, but that's kind of be the audience. Mm-hmm. That's one example. Another example, let's say you call somebody up and you get their voicemail. And they say, you called me up. This is not, this is not the message you would get on my, on my office voicemail. But suppose it, suppose it was, hi, this is Paul, leave a message. Okay, what did you learn? I think you learned a couple of things. One is, and again, that's not my office message, but I think you learned a couple of things. One is that I talk fast. And number two, that I that there's no fluff in that message. Mm-hmm. So what does that tell you? It means be the audience. So that means you, if you experience me on my office outgoing message talking fast, probably what that means is I'm going to experience you as talking slow unless you speed it up a little bit. Mm. So that's another example. Wow. So that's that's known. Sometimes people call that adapting, adapting to okay. your audience. But I'll give you, uh, let me give you, if you want. So again, Please. should we keep going on this or do you Absolutely. want me to give you the longer answer? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the short answer called be the audience, but there's another, there's more to it. Please. Okay. So in, so in terms of be the audience, I, what, I, what I believe is, and this is in a way the good news, I believe every audience in the world, when they're listening, have three questions. And you could be talking to your significant other. You could be talking to your mother. You could be talk. You could give, be giving a presentation at a conference to a hundred people. They would all have the same three questions, which probably no one will ask explicitly. But again, it's kind of the listening that you're speaking into. And and I think of these three questions as hurdles. That if you can jump over the hurdle, you've upped the odds that people are going to pay attention to you. So this is how I take the three words, be the audience, and operationalize it, right? So in in this sense, be the audience means understand, be the audience means understand the three questions that every audience has. So you can, again, if we think about these questions as obstacles, they're sequential. Like it's like you're jumping hurdles. So the first obstacle, which is the first question is, why am I listening to you? Why am I listening to you? Now, again, people are usually too polite to say it, but why am I listening to you? Because I have 60,000 thoughts right now. And most of them are about me. And therefore, they're all fascinating. (laughs) They're fascinating. I have 60,000 thoughts about me. What have you got to say? Why am I listening to you? So that's the first hurdle. If you can jump that hurdle, then here comes the second hurdle or the second question. Okay, I am listening. 
what in God's name are you saying? <laughs> you know, I do about 12 different programs having to do with communication. And one of the program one of the programs is on stories. Because mm -hmm. stories, if you if you a well-told story in terms of content is often, not always, but often a great way to capture attention. Mm -hmm. We love stories. And it also they stick, people remember stories. But sometimes I'll bet everybody's heard a story that goes kind of like this. And it has to do with what are you saying? People will say, you wouldn't believe what happened to me last Wednesday. No, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It couldn't have been last Wednesday. Because last Wednesday, last Wednesday I was in Cincinnati. You know, it was the craziest thing. Tuesday, my boss says, you got to go to Cincinnati for a meeting tomorrow. Like, what? I have no life. I could just pack a toothbrush, get on a plane, and go to Cincinnati. So no, it couldn't have been Wednesday. Might have been Thursday. <laughs> and you know, you're listening to this going, I don't care whether it was <laughs> what day of the week it was, and I don't care what city you were in. Just tell me what happened. So that's kind of the second, the second hurdle is what in God's name are you saying? What are you saying? Mm -hmm. Which is really about get to the point. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then assuming you've jumped these first two hurdles, okay, why, you know, why should I listen to you? I am listening. What are you saying? I get what you're saying. And the third one is what am I supposed to do with this information? What am I supposed to do? You know, it's interesting because uh, sometimes couples have this problem. So, uh, you know, let's say you're married or you're living with somebody and it's, a, it's an intimate relationship and one person has something very stressful happen and they just want to, they just want to vent about it. Mm -hmm. And so they, they tell their partner or their spouse this thing that happened and the, the person listening goes, oh, well, I, I know what you should do about that problem. Here's what you should do. And the person who was saying it is thinking, I wasn't looking for advice, buddy. I just wanted to tell you the thing. I didn't need you to fix it or me. I just wanted you to listen. But it was kind of unclear to the listener what they were supposed to do. Mm. And when I work with people on presentations, we spend time, basically, you know, when I'm working with people on a presentation, and the presentation could be five minutes or an hour or whatever, we spend time on these things like, you know, people come to me and say, I have a presentation. I say, how do you know? And they say, well, of course I have a presentation. I have 137 PowerPoint slides. What could that be if it's not a presentation? I said, well, you've got a very impressive deck, but it's not really a presentation until you've answered these three questions. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that's a way to stress test a message. Did you answer those three questions? Did you give people a reason to listen? Were you clear about the most important thing, which was the second question? And were you clear about what you want people to do? And by the way, what you want people to do uh, in sales, that's known as a call to action. Mm -hmm. But sometimes when I work with people, they say, well, you know, there isn't really, I don't want people to do anything. And then I say, well, that's fine. If you don't have a do, then what do you want people to feel? Ah, that's great. And if you don't have a feel, then what do you want people to think? 
So, for example, I was working with I was working with um, uh, some salespeople who were calling on on clients, already existing clients, right? So the clients had already bought, but they wanted they needed an update. This was kind of an update meeting on on things. And we got to the, okay, well, how are you going to close the conversation? And they said, well, you know, again, they, they're already clients. We're not, we're not actually trying to sell them anything right now. We're just trying to maintain, the, maintain and grow the relationship. So I said, well, what do you want them to feel? And they said, okay, well, we could do, work with that. So that we came up with a close, you know, as we, uh, as we wrap up. Uh, Feel that I, I hope you feel that how important you are to us, and that making sure you're satisfied is really our number one priority. Mm. You know, something like that, and that's stronger than "thank you for listening." Have a good day. <laughs> right. Mm. Wow. I wish I had so, had you right before I had this other conversation about an hour and a half ago with my leadership team. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's a so that's the long answer to how do you focus a message. The short answer is be the audience. The long answer is you need to answer these three questions. Why am I listening? What are you saying? And what am I supposed to do? And if not do, what am I supposed to feel? And if not feel, what am I supposed to think? Mm. Excellent. If it's a think, by the way, if there's no do and there's no feel, then the think close becomes something like if you could only remember one thing please remember this. And then you're circling back to what I call your main message, your most important thing. These are pearls of wisdom for sure. Oh, well, thank you. So that's all. That's all. When people, when we talk about focus, Mm -hmm. it's not part of it is say less. Part of it is be concise, Mm -hmm. but part of it is, it's a design question, really, right? So it's really a design question. How do you design a message that ups the odds that the message will stick? And I'm suggesting you do it by, by be the audience and understand the, the three questions that are rattling around inside their heads. Would that be the same thing as a through line in a sense where you're asking that question and you're taking it back to the beginning? Oh, I think a through line is great. I think if you can have a through line, that's good, but you can only really good, but you can only have a through line if you understand what your main message is. Mm-hmm. You can you can bookend a message, right? So you can use something in the beginning and then call back to whatever that thing was at the end, mm-hmm. which gives people the sense that you're really organized and that you really have thought about this. So that's kind of bookending. But a through line is something you pull all the way through, which to me suggests that you understand what the most important thing is, and you just keep hitting the note, maybe in some different ways, but again and again and again. Hmm. Okay, great. This is a big question, and I like this question a lot, because I think we can all work on this. How can you train yourself to say less? Yeah. So I use an exercise that I'm always suggesting to people. It's kind of a Goldilocks Goldilocks exercise, right? So uh, when I do this in programs, I usually ask people to 
to come up with some some message. It could be something simple like talk about an accomplishment. And I give people a way to, I actually have a template for how you can talk about accomplishments because that in itself is a thing. People have a hard time doing that. So I give people this template. I say, okay, take a look at this, see if it helps. Now put together, spend a couple of minutes, remember an accomplishment could be from yesterday. It could be when you were, from when you were 10 years old, could be professional, could be personal. But use, use the template if it's useful and come up with an accomplishment that you can talk about in a minute. And then I pair people off. Okay, so you get a minute. And then the person who has spoken thinks, okay, well, now we're going to switch. The other person's telling me about that, but that's not what happens. Then they go, okay, the person who just spent a minute, you go again, but now do it in 30 seconds. Mm. Same accomplishment. And then that's round two. And then round three is, okay, good. Now do it again in 15 seconds. And then finally, the other person that you're paired with gets their, their opportunity. But that's, that's, I think, how you train yourself. You, like Goldilocks, you have the, the short, medium, and long version of whatever the thing is. Mm. And, and that goes back to be the audience. And it goes back to the question that I, I, I told that I haunt people with what's the right amount of detail, mm -hmm. right? Because for some audiences, it'll be the short version for others, the medium or the long version, but that's a be the audience. And that means that you can flex. You have the ability that many people don't exercise, which is the ability to flex your detail depending on the audience. Mm. Great. So I think you have to, you know, it's, it's really kind of an exercise that you have to do. I was on a Zoom call this morning. I'm in a, um, a weekly men's group. So there are a variable number of people on the call. And it goes for 90 minutes. And people, the, the thing is, we all just check in. Well, there's one guy who goes like 10 minutes, way too long. And it's, uh, it's awkward, at least so far. Nobody's really said anything. Um, and I'm probably, maybe I'm the one that should say something because I'm the eight second guy. Um, but, you know, it's meant to be a very non judgmental gathering, right? So we're, you know, it's every peers. It's not like you, know, it's not like you're dealing with people that report to you. But, but people, I saw one person as he was going on this morning, one person yawned, didn't even like hide the yawn, just kind of yawned. <laughs> so what's the right amount of detail? Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, I'm also curious, since we communicate in so many different ways, what about trying to get people to read your emails? How do you get them to do that? I think our whole audience of listeners today would probably say they have difficulty getting people to pay attention. Yeah, it's yeah, and I I have a client, I have a client. Um, I was doing this work. I have a workshop called Your Point, which is all about focus. And uh, this particular client loved that workshop and said, "Can you do something on emails?" And so I created an email. So one of the twelve things I do is about emails. It's really the same problem, right? It's in with emails. It's how do you get somebody to open the email? How do you get somebody to read the email? How do you get somebody to take the action that you need taken? It's the same thing. So, and you have to think instead of 60,000 thoughts, 
you know, when I do when I do an email program, one of the questions I ask people is, you know, as we're starting, is how many emails a day do you get? Okay, so three to four hundred is what I'm seeing overall emails. Yeah. So then you don't need to answer this question, but of those three to four hundred emails, how many do you actually open? And of the ones that you open, how many do you actually read? Right? You can see it's the same problem. Instead of sixty thousand thoughts, we have all these all these emails. So the first one is the subject line. What do you put in the subject line? And and too often people make the mistake. People, I think, maybe it's not a mistake, but they don't use the opportunity of the subject line. So they just recycle an old email from whoever it is that they're going back and forth with. I got an email one day that said, our 2.30 meeting has been canceled. That, that was the subject line from several weeks earlier when a 2.30 meeting had been canceled, <laughs> but it had nothing to do with that day when the meeting was in fact going to happen. But whoever sent it, just didn't take the time to freshen the email, freshen the subject line. So what, you know, think about what, what captures your attention. Sometimes questions capture attention. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if you need action, you have to be careful with this one, but when I need action, I'll start an email action required. And then maybe put a colon. Now you have to be careful with that because you can, you know, you can do that too often and then people will tune that out. Sure. But you want to think about what would be an attention getting subject line. Mm. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is figure out what's the most important thing that you want to say in that email. And can you put that most important thing as close to the top of the email, not the body, not the subject line? but as close to the top of the body as you can. And then the third thing I would say is, and this has to do with details. So it's basically give somebody the headline news as early as possible. And then what I frequently do is uh, I have a new, a new paragraph that will start with the word details, or it will start with the word background info so that somebody reading that, they could just read the headline news on the top of the body. Or if they want more detail, they can read, they can keep reading the paragraph that starts with details. Mm. But I've split off the details from the headline news. And I think that's a really useful thing. And then, then of course, there are, you know, the, um, when I do the email workshop, I was doing that one day. Uh, and my clients are often really large global companies. So what that means is when people come to a workshop, they're coming from a large company and they, they frequently don't know anybody else in the room, even though they're all from the same place. Anyway, I was doing this email workshop one day and, I, and a, a guy raises his hands and he says to everybody in the room, if you send me an email and it's more than five lines, I won't read it. And I thought, wow, you don't even know who else is in this room. You're just making this blanket statement. That's kind of, to me, very risky. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of people feel that way. And again, I send emails sometimes that are more than five lines, but I use this thing that I was just describing where I break out the details. 
And then also it's just formatting the email so that paragraphs are no more than, let's say, two lines long. Mm -hmm. You use lists, you use bullets, you format it in a user-friendly, easy-to-read way. And, in, and if you read the newspaper, there's something, uh, there's something called, uh, in journalism, there's something called the pyramid technique. Mm -hmm. uh, which is how newspaper articles are written, which means, again, the most important thing is on top, and then the next most important thing and the next most important thing. Um, I still get the, the only print paper I get is the Wall Street Journal. And if something makes it from page one to an inside page, what you discover if you, if you read the rest of the story is it gets in decreasingly important mm. so that frequently you don't even finish the inside page. Well, that's in a way what the email should be like. So using this kind of pyramid technique, most important thing on top. Love that. Well, I think that's helpful. And as all of us have a busy, busy life and we have clients that don't pay attention half of the time, they'd rather text than send you an email and they sure won't read all the things that you wrote. It's so important to be concise. So thanks for that tip on that. So this is a little bit of a shift, and this is, I'd love to talk about this, um, this question that you had, and this one is about giving someone negative feedback, because we all, we've got a lot of owners on this call, they own businesses, they have a lot of employees, they've got to give them ne negative feedback, so how do they do that effectively? Yeah, so... I am again, that's another, that's a whole nother workshop. That's one of the 12 for me. Um, okay. I have a workshop called Bullet, Bulletproof Feedback, how to Ooh, get feedback without that. anybody getting hurt. And that's kind of the concern. It, it's in your question, Gail, really, right? Like you, it's the tension between want to be direct and clear and honest, and you don't want people to get hurt. It's why I haven't, it's why I and nobody else on that call I was describing this morning have told the person who goes on for 10 minutes, you got to really thin this out, right? We just haven't done that. So a couple of things about, about feedback. One is it's really, it's really very useful to think about the ratio uh, for you, the person giving feedback between positive and negative feedback. Okay. That's an important one. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a um, well-known therapist, uh, couples therapist out in, in the state of Washington named John Gottman. And his research is, he, he, so again, he's, he's working with couples, but he pays a lot of attention to kind of what makes and breaks relationships. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he spends a lot of time observing is what's this ratio between positive and not positive feedback, where the feedback doesn't even have to just be verbal. It could be, it could be your facial expression. It could be rolling your eyes. It could be your tone of voice. It could be anything. So Gottman, John Gottman's research is five to one, mm. five to one. Wow. And that, and that, that uh, marriages and relationships get in trouble when that gets compromised. Mm. So what does that have to do with work? Because I don't, Gottman, Gottman uh, to my knowledge, hasn't done any, or nor has anybody else, analogous research on that. 
But I'm starting with the positive because it is really important uh, to consider how many how many positive comments to how many how many not positive comments. Good managers, and I, I work a lot with men, I've worked over the years a lot with managers. Good managers tilt towards number one, they give a lot of feedback mm-hmm. generally. They give a lot of feedback. So I'll give three things. They give a lot of feedback, they tilt towards the positive, but they do not avoid the negative. Mm-hmm. So feedback rich environment, tilt towards the positive, but do not avoid the negative. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's say you have to give something negative feedback. The most important thing, I think, and here's two words, be specific. Mm. Be specific. I'll give you, let me give you, I'm I'm, going to give you a quick example of this. Please. So when I started giving workshops, I was working with with a really large uh, leadership and professional development company. And the person who hired me said, after she hired me, she said, you know, I've you know, been doing things for them for a little bit. She said, I'd like to actually come into one of your workshops. Actually, she said, I, what I'd really like to do is videotape you. What do you, what do you think about that? Well, what I thought about that was, I thought, that's about the worst idea I ever heard. <laughs> so what I said to her was, Absolutely. Come anytime you want. Come right in. So about a week later, I'm giving a workshop and she's in the back of the room with a, with a video recorder and a yellow legal pad. And the workshop uh, goes all day long. And at the end of it, after everybody's left, it's just the two of us in the room. And I walk over to her and I say, you know, what'd you think? Well, I could see from her face before she said anything. This was not going to be a good conversation. Ooh. So what she said to me was, Paul, has anyone ever told you that when you're up in front of the room, you, you come across sometimes as, um, and I could see she was really searching for the right word here. You, you uh, come across as um, uh, hostile. Well, no one had ever put me and hostile in a sentence together. I had never, ever heard anything like that. Hmm. In fact, I was, I, you know, I, I think I was maybe 30-ish around that time. And I remember, I remember back in college going out with any number of women, all of whom broke up with me. But they would always say, you're, Paul, you're such a nice guy. I, I never, ever want to see you again. <laughs> you're, you're a really nice guy. I never got hostile, ever. So I was really shocked by that. I said, what do you mean? She said, are you aware of how much of the day you stood with your hands? I'll see if I can, I'll see if I can shift this a little bit. Stood like this with your hands on your hips. Uh-huh. Well, you know what? I was completely unaware of that. Interesting. Uh, and I, in fact, I remember saying to her, are you, are you sure I do that? And I learned something very important, which is don't ever argue with your boss, particularly if she just videotaped you. <laughs> because the next thing we did is we watched the tape and she was right. No matter where my hands were, they ended up here Interesting. on my hips. Now, 
the point of the story is notice her feedback and the iterate the the iter kind of version one version two mm. right so version one was hostile which is general could mean there are like 101 ways that you could come across as hostile version two was stop standing with your hands on your hips and that was the entirety of what she meant by hostile uh -huh. the first version was less than useful the second version was absolutely useful mm -hmm. so when i say uh that the most important thing with feedback is be specific. I'm saying give hands on hips feedback. What is, what is it the person did? What did they say? Or what did they not do? Or what did they not say? It should be, it should pass what I call the videotape test. If there were a video camera in the room, could that video camera record the specificity of your feedback. Mm. Because otherwise, it's too general, it's too open to misinterpretation. And it's, it's too risky, because the person will hear it as you're telling me something about my personality. See, hostile sounds like, it sounds like a personality thing, when it was actually not a personality thing, it was just a how are you standing with your hand? Why are you standing with your hands on your hips so much? Mm -hmm. Wow, that was that's a great example. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, well, and I'll tell you, I have, you know, I this fee, I have done countless programs on feedback. Mm -hmm. And it's the one thing I see managers struggle the most with, mm -hmm. which is, which is making their feedback specific, and behavioral and observable. So again, great managers, they give a lot of feedback, they tilt towards the positive, but they do not avoid the negative. When they when they talk about negative things, they make it about behavior, not about personality by being very, very specific. Mm. Okay, so you mentioned five positive to one negative. And of course, years ago, I read a book about do a sandwich, but I've read later that you don't do the sandwich of one positive, a negative and a positive because <laughs> it's not a positive sandwich. So how do you go about doing that, especially in your day to day? How do you yeah, yeah, try yeah. To measure that? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm with you, Gail. I, I am. Uh, I think the sandwich technique is totally discredited as it mm -hmm. should be. You know, the sandwich technique is, is like you, you say, Arthur, great job on that report. It's true. It was late. It was riddled with errors. And I suspect 80% was plagiarized, but keep up the good work. That's the, <laughs> that's the sandwich technique. It's crazy. So sometimes, uh, what you want to do is, if you can, what you want to do is one one message per conversation. Mm -hmm. So you have something negative to say, just keep it about that. Pick your now, you still have to come up with, uh, if we go back to, to why am I listening, you know, those three questions, why am I listening, what's the main 
you know, what's, what are you saying and what do you want me to do? That works with feedback, by the way. Mm. So you could start with a purpose statement, uh, which could sound like giving someone positive feedback. You know, I think, I think uh, you're going to have a great career here. And I'm concerned, by the way, you don't want to use the word, but when you're giving feedback, because, but basically wipes out everything that you have said that came before the, but Mm -hmm. so you could start, you know, you could say, I've been really looking forward to this conversation. I think you've had, you know, maybe you would say, I think you've had a great year here. Uh, And I want to talk about something that I think is, is going to become an obstacle for you or something like that. I, I, I want to talk about something that I think is going to be easy for you to correct and important for you to correct. And that has to do with blah, blah, blah. Here's what I noticed. Now, sometimes even better, if you can, is to ask the other person to do a self-assessment. Mm. Like, let's say you, you've been meeting, say the two of you have been meeting with it. You just came from a client meeting. And the person that you're going to get feedback to who reports to you had a, had a major role at, in that client meeting, and now you're debriefing. As you're walking out of the meeting or later, you could say, how do you think the meeting went? And uh, in terms of what you did, what are you, what are you pleased with? And is there anything that you would do differently if we were going to replay that? It's very, very useful to, do a self, to ask them to do a self-assessment first, because then that gives you information about how aware were they about this thing. If they're aware of it, it makes it a whole lot easier to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. That was so good. I love that. So helpful. Yeah. yeah. So I would start by asking them to do a self-assessment. And, and if you can, tell them what the purpose, if you're giving them negative feedback, what's the purpose? You know, so you could say, you know, I'm as your manager, as your manager, I, I think it's really important for me to help develop you. This might be a better purpose statement. As a manager, I'm committed to, I think I would do it this way. As your manager, I'm really committed to your development. And that means not only telling you when you've done things well, and I hope I, think, I, hope I tell you that enough, but also pointing out ways that I think you might, you might do things even better or pointing out ways that I think you might improve or pointing out things that I think will get in your way if you don't address them. Mm-hmm. And I might pick one of those. Great. Uh, can we talk about blah, blah, blah? Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the hardest things. And a lot of us are people pleasers. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't necessarily want to give the bad feedback or the slightly negative feedback because we don't want to hurt someone's feelings. So I think those ideas are great. Very, very helpful. Well, yeah, and that gets us in a way, uh, and let me jump over, you know, we talked about the three strategies, right? Focus, variety, presence. Right. And I mentioned with presence that there are at least 10 things that contribute to other people's perception that you have this thing called presence. So one of the 10 things that speaks to what we're talking about now, Gail, is command. Mm -hmm. The action called command. And and I can't tell you how many people struggle with this. Command means that you're more concerned with results 
than being liked 24-7. So a lot of us avoid negative feedback, giving negative feedback. It's not only that we don't want to hurt the other person's feelings, it's that we don't want them to be angry or not like us. Mm. So command is about that. And and I, I don't know to what extent this helps, but it's important for us to remind ourselves by not giving somebody negative feedback, we're actually hurting them. Mm-hmm. Like if I have spinach between my teeth, I would hope that somebody before this set, you know, we had a leafy salad kind of a lunch. And I would hope my colleague before we go into a set of afternoon meetings would say, Paul, you may want to check your teeth. <laughs> I would hope that somebody would do that because otherwise I'm going to have all these meetings with green tea. Mm-hmm. So funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think, I think it's important to realize we really do somebody a disservice like that. It, I didn't love hearing about hands on hips, mm-hmm. but that manager that day gave me a gift. Exactly. Because I've, I have stopped doing that, and I was unaware of that. I would have done that for, you know, the next 30 years if she mm-hmm. hadn't told me that. And, no, and if no one had told me, I'd just keep doing it. I wouldn't know. I just wouldn't know. I mean, it's a spinach on teeth kind of a problem. Well, I think another clue from this, too, is that we need to ask for feedback ourselves so that we're not just hearing what people want to say that's nice to us, but they're telling us the truth about where we could improve. Yeah, I think that's right. And I also think that's really important, you know, for people here that are managing other people, for you to ask them to give you feedback. I I, I have a friend who's a manager and he, he does something that I really like a lot, which is at least once or twice a year, he has a one-to-one conversation uh, with his direct reports that he calls a, um, a three by three. Uh, and, you know, he would say, he would say, uh, you know, if you were working for him, Gail, he'd say, Gail, next Friday, we're going to have our three by three. Mm. And you would know that what's required in advance is for you to come to that meeting. Again, he's your boss, but you're going to come to this meeting with three things that you think he, the manager is doing well, and three things that he could be doing better to support you what i particularly so i like two things about that one is i like that he he does that at least once or twice a year i also like that he he's asking for a specific number he doesn't just have a conversation with a direct report and go i'd love for your feedback how do you think i'm doing as your manager because because by and large, if you do that, you're going to oh, you're, you're great. <laughs> you're doing great. Don't change a thing. But by asking for three by three, for asking for the specific number, he really forces people to do some thinking. And, and then uh, I think if, you were, if any of us were to try that, you would expect, if you've never done that, you should expect that the first one or two or three times, you're not going to get much. Mm-hmm. It's only after you do it and people realize you're serious about this that they're going to come to trust that you're really asking for feedback. Mm-hmm. And then and then if you create that, then you've leveled the playing field because if you're if you're inviting them to give you, okay, here how are three ways I can improve, then it's a whole lot easier for for it to be reciprocal. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
so helpful. I love those ideas. What is, I'm going to ask you one last question, then I'll open it up for a few questions, if you don't mind. Oh, sure. That'd be fine. Yeah. So what's the biggest mistake that causes people to tune you out? I, I think it's detail. Mm. I think it's detail. Mm -hmm. I think it's people not editing what they're saying. And, you know, the mind, if you pay attention to your own mind, what you realize is our mind is, is free associative. Mm -hmm. It's not linear. It's free associative. Like you, one thing triggers another thought, triggers another thought. It's just free, it's just free associative. But that doesn't usually make for the best focused conversation in a world of eight seconds. And so it's asking the question, what's the most important thing that I want this person to know? Mm -hmm. What's the most important thing? And again, I go back to the question that I always try to haunt people with, what's the right amount of detail? And it's probably less than you think. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a challenge. <laughs> Lots yeah. to think about. Your book is on my list of reread and reread and reread because I think there's so much information in there in terms of things that we can apply every single day. So thank you for writing this because it was one of my favorite reads for the last six months. Oh, well, thank you, Gail. That's oh, very it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Well, I wanted to just open this up to questions. There is one from actually two from Stephanie. She says, how do we learn to end conversations effectively? Yeah, how do we learn to end conversations effectively? Mm -hmm. So uh, I wonder, Stephanie, if you could maybe either by chat or by voice. Gail, are people able to, to speak? Yes, or is they're it just certainly that? welcome to speak. Yeah. Can you just add what kind of conversations are we talking about? Well, I'm just thinking of... Uh, say like an employee review or we're we're giving that feedback um i feel like it's hard sometimes for us to wrap up and to know how to leave the meeting if that makes sense how to you know what's the best way to leave a conversation do we recap things in a short synopsis do we what's the best way to to leave it, I guess. is the Yeah, good. That's great. And that's helpful. So if we're talking about a conversation with an employee and a particularly a feedback conversation, I think, I think there are at least two things I would point to. So one would be, is there a call to action? And by call to action, what is the next step? So uh, are we going to have a check-in in a week or two weeks or 30 days, what's the next step? Or what, do, what are we asking them to do? Are we gonna do something? So that would be one thing. And then the other thing, in addition to a call to action, to the extent that you can do this authentically would be to end with a positive expectation. We are really shaped by expectations. Mm -hmm. And so to say, uh, you know, thank you. Let's say, let's say you're giving somebody negative feedback. I really appreciate, I really appreciate your openness today. I, as the manager, I might say, I really appreciate your openness to hearing this and to 
considering it. And, and I know that this is, uh, I know given your capabilities, this is something that you will absolutely be able to, uh, to handle. And I just want you to know that, um, that I have great, I really have great hope in your, in your career here, you know, or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, to end on a, it's not the sandwich technique, but it's ending on a positive note. Like what, you know, what, what is your expectation? Um, you know, I think, I think once you, once you're able to resolve this, uh, you know, I think, I think there are great things in store for you. Or something okay, like you. that. One follow-up question. What if it's a conversation you're not anticipating? Because I feel that we've, this whole conversation so far has been about things that we can prep for, but what yeah. if it's a situation where they catch us off guard, they're coming to us saying, I have this problem, or I'm concerned about this. Uh, and we don't necessarily have the prep time before to really think about it. Yeah. Is there a, is, do you have a recommendation on, okay, just keep it short and simple and say, we'll get back to this later. Or do you, I don't know if that makes sense. Well, it makes perfect sense. It's a, it's a really good question. Cause you're right. Like a lot of this is, is improvisational really. Mm. And I like where you're going. If you think that it's a, it's a really important conversation that would benefit from prep, then yeah, I like your instinct to say, yes, let's, I definitely want to talk about this with you. Can we set a time for later today or later in the week? Because I would like to be able to do some thinking in advance. I think that's perfectly legitimate. It's basically saying this is an important conversation. When you say this is an important conversation, you're also suggesting you're an, you're an important person to me. Right, right. Right. So you can't always do that because sometimes some situations come up and they need an immediate response and you have to be able to think quickly on your feet. So, but you can always, if you have to, if you, if the conversation is there and then you can also follow up, right? So it's not as if it's one and done. You could say, you know, I've been thinking about the conversation we had yesterday and I'm not totally happy about my response. And I've done some more thinking about that overnight. And I, I want to add something to it. Mm -hmm. So I think I think those are moves that are perfectly legitimate. Really like the question because you're right. A lot of a lot of stuff is improvisational, but I think to the extent to which you practice some of these principles around focus and around be the audience and and so on and so forth, they they don't become um, completely automatic, but they move in that direction. Thank you. <laughs> Excuse me. What's interesting to me is as I'm thinking through this conversation that we think we're good communicators, but what I'm getting out of this is how much finesse can be added on the top of everyday communications to improve our ability to get our point across and to actually, as you said, have command of the situation. So, I find this really fascinating and, and it makes me want to dig into more classes about communication. So you mentioned you did some workshops. What workshops um, would you recommend to based on some of the questions you've gotten today? 
Well, yeah, so that's, thank you. I, I love I the question. And I, as I mentioned, I do about a dozen different programs. Uh, and there is, I do have a, you know, so my company is Express Potential. Hmm. Okay. Express Potential. And you can go, if you go to expresspotential.com, I've got some really fast videos, two-minute videos there. And I've also got, uh, there's a, there's a, a page where you can see workshops and keynote speeches and things like Great. that. You know, one thing that we haven't talked about that uh, that I find can be eye-opening for people is questions. Being able to ask smart questions. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you I'll give you a quick example. Mm -hmm. If I said, uh, you know, most people have heard the distinction between open questions versus closed questions. So if you ask somebody about their weekend, you could say, do you have a, did you have a good weekend? Right. And that's a closed question. And that, by the way, it might be, that might be perfectly fine. Did you have a good weekend? You could be walking down the hallway and when, did you have a good weekend? Yeah, I agree with you. Have a good weekend. Yeah. yeah. And we don't even have to stop and talk. So that's a closed question. An open question might be, what did you do over the weekend? Now, so people understand that distinction between closed and open, but I would say I want to add a third distinction, which is smart. And I would say neither of those questions about the weekend are smart. They're not bad questions. They're just not what I would call smart questions. So what's a smart question? A smart question is a question that gets the other person to think. Which means they have to be engaged, which means they have to be paying attention. So what would be a smart question that you could ask somebody about the topic? Forget about last weekend or next weekend. Forget about a specific weekend. But if I just said, what would be a smart question you could ask somebody about the topic of weekend? See, it's it, we're kind of stumped, right? Because, yeah. and this this gets to what you were just saying, Gail, right? Like we think we're really good communicators, mm -hmm. but at least, you know, I think we would all agree more than half of being a good communicator is how you listen. And part of listening is to be able to spark the other person to talk by asking thought provoking questions. Mm -hmm. And we don't do that a lot. So a question about weekend, a smart question about weekend. Oh, I like this one. What did you do to rejuvenate this weekend? That's nice. Nice. Like that. That's yeah. Was there, Hey gal, did you, I didn't, I haven't been looking at the chat. So I don't know if there was another one that we should be looking at in terms of weekends. That's the one I'm seeing so far. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you said, what would an ideal weekend look like? I like that question. Mm -hmm. Now, let's apply this to work. Mm -hmm. Let's apply it to work. I, I was reading an interview with a, with a CEO. And I was struck at the end. She said, here's, here's my favorite question. And her favorite question was to call a one of the one of the employees of this company, and again, she was the CEO. So she calls this an employee, random employee, into her office, just the two of them, one on one, and she says, 
is this a high-performing organization? Ooh. And that was her favorite question. I love that. Yeah, I don't. Really? No, I hate yeah. it. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Again, let's go back to be the audience. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're, you work in this organization. You're now alone with the CEO. It's just the two of you in the office. She's running the organization. And she says to you, is this a high-performing organization? I'm guessing that, and this maybe this wouldn't be true of you, Gal. You might, you might just be a very open, honest, direct person, which all virtues to your credit. I'm guessing, though, that a lot of people in that seat are going to feel like they're in the hot seat. I'm talking to the CEO. Is this a high-performing organization? She's running the place. So I'm guessing a lot of people are going to try to game the answer. And they're going to, they're, it's going to be hard to resist. Well, oh my God, she's the CEO. Of course, this is a high-performing organization. I <laughs> How could it not be? You're running, you know, like that. So the question is, what could she have done better? Because like you, I do like the theme of the question. I just don't like the form of the question. I've got it. Yeah. So one mistake that, that leaders and managers make when they're asking these kinds of questions is that they don't tell the other person why they're asking the question. So what she could have said was, as the CEO, she could have looked at this person and said, like you, I'm committed to making this organization as high performing as possible. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a never ending continuous improvement effort. Mm-hmm. And I would love your thoughts on where we are in the middle of that. What do you think we're doing? Well, maybe even ask for a number like that three by three thing we're talking about. What are two or three things you think we're doing well? And what are two or three things you think we need to do better? Mm-hmm. And do you see how that's different than the closed-end form of that? Is the you know kind of yes or no, black or white? It's not so black or white. Mm-hmm. And so the ability to ask these kinds of questions, again, you know, everybody thinks, well, it's like breathing. I know how to breathe, but if you know, if I went to Maybe if I studied yoga or did something like that, I, I might learn some breathing techniques that would actually be better than the way I'm normally breathing. But everybody knows how to breathe. And the same way, well, we all, you know, everybody knows how to communicate, but there are techniques that can up your game. Thinking about the kinds of questions that you ask and even just paying attention to the simple thing, to what extent do I ask open questions versus closed questions? Mm-hmm. And are any of my open-ended questions thought-provoking? Even doing something simple like that can be really helpful. And so, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, again, the three things in that book, focus, variety, and presence. Well, one way, one way, there are a lot of ways to vary things up, but one way to vary things up, I always tell speakers, one of the most interesting things you can do when you're speaking Stop talking. So if you're if we're talking about you as the manager with direct reports, an interesting metric is how much how much of the time are you speaking and how much of the time are they speaking? That's particularly useful. That's we go back to the feedback thing, right? Yeah. 
how much of this am I speaking and how much are you speaking? And that's why starting with a self-assessment can be really useful. Well, I took away at least 10 things out of this so far, and I would love to hear from all of you that are on today. What's just one thing that you're going to take away and apply from what you heard Paul talk about today? I always love to have takeaways because I think it's so interesting what people hear and want to apply after they hear it. Hi, Gail. This is Marissa. Hi, Marissa. Hi. Um, one thing that I'm going to take away is the email um, information that you gave. So capturing attention in email. I love that you will break it down with like the headline news and background info and details. And I think that's really important. I, I think a lot of our emails can get wordy and this is a great way to kind of give them the most information right away and be a little bit more clear in that. Mm -hmm. So that's my takeaway. Excellent. Thank you. Who else has something they'd like to offer? Lisa? Um, my takeaway was uh, to ask the person to do a self-assessment. And I thought that your words were perfect. In terms of what you did, what are you pleased with? And based on how the last three months went, is there anything that you would do differently? I just thought it was the perfect way to word it and to get some feedback that was directed by the person that you were speaking to. And I wrote it down and we're going to use that. Okay. Love that. And speaking of love, Jessica, welcome. Um, Jessica's our brand new member of Boardroom. She says, I'm going to put all of this information in motion, read the book and stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, I, I think there's a certain amount of talking that's kind of important. <laughs> okay. Anybody else have anything they're taking away from this? Lisa, I know you were taking a lot of notes. You want to unmute? Lisa Levetto. I for, keep forgetting we have different. I said, which Lisa, me? Nobody can hear me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yes, I did take a lot of notes on a big page. Um, I really loved the three questions for all audiences. It can be used in presenting to a client any number of things. And I wrote all of that down. Why am I listening to you? What are you saying? Like, just get to the point. What am I supposed to do with this information? And then it, if it's not a call to action, it's how do you feel? How do you think? And I wrote down this examples <laughs> that you gave because I, I just think that's brilliant and will be a really nice way to, I don't know, just to give clearer, clearer talks, clearer presentations, even with my, my um, employees. And I'm, I'm going to share this with a couple of employees as well. Um, LA's on this call um, that we can possibly help a, a person or two to, we're always saying, just hone it down, say what you mean, get it clear. Because um, for some people, it's just their personality, they're just talking like that. So with me, I'm going to talk less as well. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you so much. It was great. <laughs> awesome. Anybody else have a last idea they'd like to share takeaway got one okay um, go for it. i loved when he said good managers give a lot of feedback they tilt towards the positive but they do not avoid the negative yes. and i think that that's really important whenever we're talking to our employees um, i think it's okay to be positive but we also have to address what the issue is and i also loved it when you said focus on only one <laughs> negative thing in the conversation because if we chalk it full of 
all kinds of negative things, then they're not going to walk away feeling like it's something that they can tackle. They're just going to feel defeated and then it's not going to progress <laughs> into anything further than that. So, um, yeah. you know, and there's one other thing I would say about that in terms of follow-up, there's a, there's a psychological technique called shaping, hmm. which means, so you've given somebody negative feedback and if it's, if it fits and you're able to observe them, you want to try to, reinforce the steps that are in the right direction. Uh, it's very much like what you do if you, you know, for people that are parents here. So when a, you know, when your baby starts to walk, when your baby starts to walk, what happens? She stands up, she falls down. She stands up, she takes a step or two, she falls down. There's a lot of falling down. You don't, watch that and go, I'm completely unimpressed. Call me when you're, when you've run a marathon and then we'll have something to talk about. No, you're, you're taking these steps and you're all over it. Oh, look at that. That's so great. So we're not, we're not, I'm not suggesting that you treat your employees like babies uh, and that you reinforce things or give people excessive or inauthentic praise. But I am saying for things that are harder to fix. You do want to think about this thing called shaping and try to try to catch people as they're moving in the right direction and making improvements. Mm, that is so good. Well, Paul, thank you so much for your time today. And I've shared your book again at the end of the chat. You've got eight seconds, Communication Secrets for a Distracted World. And uh, also we have your workshop information listed above. It sounds like there are several people that might benefit from using this for their teams too. So um, thank you for sharing your time today. Oh, well, this is, uh, this has just been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I will thank just, I, let me close by saying something that Ralph Waldo Emerson said, which is all the great speakers started out as bad speakers mm. and how did they go? So then, the, you know, the question for all of us, me too, because I also am a work in progress like everybody here. How does one go from being bad to better and from better to good and from good to great? And it's by doing what we've been doing for the last hour or so, right? It's by, it's by practice. It's by practice. So thank you all for, for the opportunity to share uh, some of these techniques and the call to action here is practice. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you being on the call today. Thank you. All right. Have a wonderful rest of your day, Paul, and we will be in touch shortly. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you all. Bye-bye. We hope you took away some helpful advice on how to become a better communicator. Paul Hellman has some fantastic books that dive deeper into what he talked about on the podcast. So if you want to learn more, you can find him online or find links to his work in our show notes. Join us on the next episode for a conversation with Chris Ramey about the unique challenges of serving and marketing to luxury clients. As part of our ongoing efforts to support our community of designers, we're conducting the 2022 Interior Designers Survey on fees, salaries, and competing for talent. 
The purpose of this survey is to help our design community understand the current state of the industry, the individuals who make up the industry, and the challenges you face as an interior design business owner. We want to hear from you, so please take eight minutes to participate in this survey before July 31st. Go to gailw.com slash ID survey. Compiled results will be published this fall and participants will receive an advanced copy of the resulting report and will be entered into a drawing for prizes throughout the duration of the data collection period. And last but not least, please go over and follow us on Instagram at gail.dobie.